Talk of the Devils is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder allows you to make personalized bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app it can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18 only, please gamble responsibly. I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. This week we're talking about the Hayes Howler, Fernandez's screamer and quiet rumours from Champions League football returning to Old Trafford. As ever, joining me for another week of dissection and discussion about Manchester United, it's Laurie Whitwell, The Athletic's Manchester United writer. Laurie, how are you? Hey Carl, I'm good, thanks. You okay? I'm good, I'm good. This week it's big for Manchester United, it's Derby and then the Derby on Sunday. So yeah. Wayne Rooney and then the team Wayne Rooney scored a lot of goals against. Quick question for you. What's your favourite Wayne Rooney moment for Manchester United? Uh, well, I remember when he actually first played against United for Everton and he came on as a sub years ago. We were in the crowd and he came on and terrorised Gary Neville um, with his sort of direct running. Um, and also then the next year, I think he, he um, put a reducer in on Ronaldo, um, still playing for Everton, obviously, and, and got absolutely dogs abuse. So that they kind of stick in my mind for them what it all you know moved into. I suppose in terms of United moment, um, overhead kick against City you know we're in Derby week let's say the the one um, <laughs> that thumped into the back of the net against Joe Hart that was an incredible moment I'm not going to say it was a shinner but <laughs> no, it was a I'm shinner. not no, it was a beautiful shinner uh, as ever we also have Andy Mitten United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic Andy again same question your favourite Wayne Rooney moment for Manchester United I'd agree with Laurie on, on the City one. He had a brilliant debut when he scored a hat-trick against Fenerbahce. One which I think gets overlooked is his goal against Barcelona at Wembley. Champions League final. It's the biggest stage. It was a brilliant goal. At a time when Manchester United were getting absolutely battered by the Catalans. And I remember being in the ground and thinking, get in there. It gave me a bit of hope. It was only for 10 or 15 minutes, but... He scored a very, very important goal there. Unfortunately, in the second half, Barca continued to batter United and they won another European Cup at United's expense, but that was a big moment. My personal Wayne Rooney moment is the paintbrush he scored against Newcastle. I think it was in 2006 where he just oh, yelled yeah, at the brilliant. referee for a little bit and then just turns around and just whacks it. I'm going, <laughs> and continues wow. going back to harass the ref afterwards, doesn't he? I know. So it continues just... the conversation. <laughs> It's one of those fun things about Rooney. He never looked as if he was in total control of his talents, but every now and again you get those clarifying moments. You're like, oh, blimey, you are one of the best players in the world. Manchester United drew 1-1 at Goodison Park against Everton. David De Gea howler, but a Bruno Fernandes screamer. Laurie, what happened on Sunday? Yeah, it was a really funny one. Um, he obviously gave him a lot of time to... You know, to to close him down, and then obviously Calvert Lewin sprinted the last sort of bit of it, and, and kind of panicked. I think De Gea into kicking it long when you look at the the likes of the sweeper keepers with Edison and Allison, um, and would they have done something a bit more skillful to get out of that situation at a turn maybe, and then passed it off simply. Clearly, De Gea doesn't really have that in his his repertoire, so I guess he'll always be um, there'll always be doubts about his ability to be um, the kind of you know ball playing goalkeeper um, at Manchester United that they'd ideally like him to be. Um, clearly still got the shot stopping he obviously pulled off a brilliant fingers, fingertip save to Calvert-Lewin moments after that 
So he, he wasn't, you know, shaken by the incident um, to any degree. And then also at the end, Sigurdsson, so two really good saves, but clearly that's the one that th- people remember, the fact that he's just booted it against Calvert-Lewin in the first minute and, and you know, United are 1-0 down. So, um, But from there, I thought actually United... Um, it really took control of the game. The first half, some of the football was was some of the best I've seen this season, really. And obviously, Bruno was at the heart of everything. Um, not only his sort of creativity, his touch, but his, his work rate and his, his energy that he brought um, really dis- disrupts uh, sort of Everton's game plan. And I think you've got to give credit to Solskjaer a little bit with the change to formation with the diamond. You obviously Matic screening, Fred, you know, and McTominay like to get up and down those flanks. Um, and it, a lot of the work that Bruno was doing was, was linking up with Fred and it, it looked it looked good. And I think they got the goal deservedly so. Um, you know, Bruno, clearly we've seen that at Sporting Lisbon that he can hit those balls from that kind of range. People have sort of criticised Pickford and I suppose, you know, ideally he'd like him saving those but um, from an England perspective, obviously, rather than a United perspective. But um, I think he strikes it with such pace and bounce also, um, you know, just takes it away from him. So I'd rather give credit to Bruno for the goal rather than sort of have have criticism of Pickford. And obviously second half, Everton changed it up, um, went a bit more direct. Um, United, I think some of the players wilted a little bit in in terms of the the, uh, energy in the tank. So McTominay and Martial obviously carrying the knock and McTominay just back, Um, you know, props weren't at the full fitness towards the end of the game. So that affected things. Um, But then again, still a little bit more clinicism in the final third, you know, Greenwood driving towards goal when Bruno's done the step over you know, brilliantly. Um, you know, Gala was unlucky with Pickford in the star jump to, to keep it out. So, um, sort of, I think, you know, positive, encouraging signs overall at a place that is difficult to go against a team that is sort of decent form. So, um, yeah, a, a mad game, but kind of satisfactory result at the end of it. It's a really, really strange result where sort of the most, the happiest Manchester United player out of everyone is probably Dean Henderson. So obviously you've seen a goalkeeping howler from David De Gea and a goalkeeping howler from uh, Jordan Pickford. So there, there's a scenario where Henderson comes back to Manchester United, becomes the United number one, and also probably sneaks in and gets the England call up at the Euro 2020. Andy, let me get your thoughts. How are you viewing David De Gea's goalkeeping record recently? He isn't as consistent as he used to be. This is a player who was player of the year in four of five seasons and built up a big bank of credit with Manchester United fans. And I think United fans felt he was the best goalkeeper in the world. Not that they're watching Ter Stegen or Manuel Neuer every single week. De Gea is the best paid goalkeeper in the world and few people complained when he signed that new contract. But he hasn't been as consistent since the start of last season. He's made mistakes. They're not isolated mistakes. Uh, he's still been making brilliant saves. His performance at Tottenham away last season was one of the best I've ever seen. But he's got to step up. He's got to be a leader in this United team. He's not a kid anymore. And he knows that Dean Henderson's doing very well at Sheffield United. I think there's a case for bringing Dean Henderson back and giving him a real challenge uh, to push De Gea. But Henderson wants to play games. And maybe if you've got two brilliant goalkeepers, that's not a bad thing. I'm not convinced that Sergio Romero can be the number one goalkeeper for Manchester United. There's a very talented keeper, Kieran O'Hara, on loan at Burton. Uh, Joel Pereira, off the boil a little bit, playing on loan at Hearts. But De Gea, I think he needs to be pushed. He needs to be challenged. He's got a good goalkeeping coach, Richard now who's got a good body of work behind him and he needs that and if he if he's gone off the boil a little bit 
then he'll know that. And I think he's hugely talented. Uh, I was surprised at the mistake because I thought his distribution was one of the best things when he came to the club. It was the one area the club felt they didn't need to work on. And it was what first attracted United to him when he was just pinging the ball accurately straight out to the wings. And when he came to the club, they needed to bulk him up and get command his area a bit more. And maybe he hasn't done that as well in, in recent weeks. So I love the fact that Henderson's doing so well. Henderson's extremely confident, but I don't think he can come back and be fobbed off. Maybe that's not the right phrase to use, but giving him 10 games. I also think Champions League football will be a major help uh, for, for bringing a player back and sharing a load of, of games out. Because you could say to Henderson, look, you're going to be fighting with David, but we've got a lot of competitions. You're going to play Champions League football. And I think that that competition is definitely needed. As for the game, uh, Bruno was brilliant. Am I allowed to say that as a fact now rather than an opinion? He's, he's changed United's season. He's lifted the spirits that much, but that I was disappointed United didn't beat Everton. It was a massive improvement on last season. That 4-0 was horrendous in April. It was absolutely shocking, that game. And that was when Ollie said, I am the man to get this club out of the mess that they're in. And they're in a mess. And maybe only four players started from that last game against Everton in April. So a one-all result at Goodison is all right. Uh, you can take positives from it, especially from, from Bruno. I love the way he makes the free kicks, the corners. He, he He's already putting his authority in there, he's settled very quickly. But United can't be draw drawing many matches if they're going to play Champions League football. They've got to be winning games. They've not won enough games this season. I think it's 11 from 28. It's not enough. And in these last 10 games, they've got to be winning five, which is a much bigger increase uh, in the win rate than they've had so far this season. The games are there to be won. They're playing against Bournemouth, um, rivals like Tottenham, Sheffield United... Um, but there's games against Southampton that they've got to win as well because the last game of the season is at Leicester. That's a, a tough match. And then there's a small matter of the Manchester derby on Sunday at Old Trafford. United are terrible at Old Trafford against City. They're much better away. I hope it changes this weekend. Manchester United now in fifth place, which, which might be the Champions League position come the end of the season. There's a few teams in chase and there's Chelsea just ahead. Let's talk about the other route Manchester United could have into Champions League football, which is the Europa League. Laurie? Please help a number of confused Manchester United fans by telling me who are Latsk. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I was a little bit confused uh, before googling away and finding a little bit more about them. Um, we, we are we did sort of look look ahead of the draw and sort of see who they could get and, and had a look at, at, at Lask. So the, the call, you know, the place called Linz in uh, in Austria, third biggest city in Austria. Um, they're currently top of the Austrian Bundesliga um, ahead of Red Bull Salzburg, and they actually beat Red Bull Salzburg a couple of weeks ago, three two. Although I watched highlights of the game and. It was a it was a, a, a seat to your pants kind of win for them, um, and obviously Salzburg have lost a couple of players uh, recently, one of which we know all about. Um, so yeah, they're going to be an interesting proposition. They actually beat um, Sporting Lisbon and PSV in the Europa League early in the competition, pretty comprehensively as well, actually. Um, although they did lose to Club Bruges um, in the qualifying rounds for the Champions League, so go figure. Um, yeah, clearly United should be uh, beating Linz. You know, they are a more favourable side than than. They're the ones they could have got. Um, yeah, looking forward to, to going to Austria and seeing if they can come through. Andy, has your years following Manchester United ever taken to Austria before? It has a couple of times. Um, in 99, um, United played Sturm Graz and 
probably the coldest I've ever been watching Manchester United was against Rapid Vienna in December 96. Um, that was in, in the Prater Stadium in Vienna. And I know some people think it's impossible for any ground to be colder than Oldham Athletic away, but Vienna managed it that December. It was a brilliant win. It's probably Peter Schmeichel's greatest ever game. And then Graz, I think, was is the fourth biggest city in, in Austria, and Linz is the third. So I've never been to Linz before. I made contact with a couple of people there after the draw and basically said, tell me what you know, and uh, I'm going to go there. Um, I think it's very f- favourable for, for United, and it's a competition that they've got to be going all out to win. If Oli finishes this season with a trophy, be it the Europa League, be it the FA Cup, then you can count this season as a success. If it fades away into nothing like last season, the pressure will grow massively on Oli Gunnar. And finishing in the top four or maybe even the top five, uh, that'll be encouraging given how bad United have been at a lot of points this season. But to see United's captain lifting a cup will really give fans hope that further improvement is on the way. Uh, And with more signings in the summer, that'll lift optimism. Uh, again so Lask is is a good draw there's still really tough teams to win the competition there's a lot more games to play in it you play more games in the Europa League than the Champions League but I'm feeling pretty confident about the Cups at the moment far more than when I saw that first FA Cup draw Wolves away for oh no United going out of it but they overcame Wolves Derby away United be winning that game and Lask absolutely got to be going through now, Laurie, a little bird tells me you went to Manchester United's under-18 game in the Youth Cup. Did you not? Yeah, it was a tough match. Um, 2-1 in the end win. Um, Wigan certainly didn't come to be patsies in the occasion. They they really roughed up United at times and could play a bit as well. Um, they actually brought a load of fans with them. Um, it was only about a 1,000 to begin with over in the North Stand, um, opposite from where we were sitting in the press box. And and then um, sort of after about five, ten minutes, this flood of, of hundreds more fans came through. I guess they were sort of holding them outside, just checking that they had enough stewards to kind of, um, you know, cope with them all. Uh, and they must have had about two and a half thousand, sort of nearly, nearly three thousand fans there in the end. So sort of fair play to them for coming across for a youth team game. And there was a good number of United fans there as well. But it made for a sort of good atmosphere, a bit of banter between the two sets of fans and um, show the show. Taya scored the first goal, um, who just turned 16, actually, uh, February the 2nd, I think it is. Um, and he celebrated by, really nice finish, and he celebrated by sliding on his knees in front of the Wigan fans, which was, uh, I guess, a little <laughs> bit provocative. But, you know, fair play to the guy for, you know, being a, l- a young lad and, and not being overawed by the occasion or the atmosphere. You know, that kind of substance will, will you know, hopefully bode him well. Um, uh, Wigan equalised, and then United went and won it. Um, uh, DJ Satono. Satona um, held off um, James Carragher, who's the son of Jamie Carragher. Um, so that was a sort of special moment. Um, and yeah, I've got a piece on, on the Athletic um, at the moment, which is talking about Shola Shortire and United rate him so highly that they've signed him up to a uh, pre-contract for when he turns professional. So young young players can only sign pro contracts when they are 17. Um, and, and obviously he's, he's a year away from that now. So, um, But United have, have sort of moved to kind of um, lock him in and, and secure him because at the age that he's at, you know, European clubs are looking at him and um, and they could have got him for sort of minimal compensation fee if they've managed to sort of persuade him. But um, clearly, Shortire sees 
a good future at United and he's enjoying the work that he's doing at Carrington. Um, so yeah, have, have a look online. It's a little exclusive that we've got. So um, feel free. We, we go into quite a bit of depth. We speak to Neil Ryan and we speak to the other players that played on, um, who's the under-18s manager and some of the other players who played on Friday. So it's, it's worth a read. And it looks as if Manchester United are leaning more on youth rather than expensive signings in recent seasons. They are. There's a number of reasons for that. United underfunded their youth system and were left behind by Chelsea and Manchester City. And I wrote a big piece on this in 2015 and, and the sources inside the club were basically people who were very concerned it was what, what was happening. And then I went on the pre-season tour thinking that everyone's going to have daggers for me because I've written this piece. And what actually happened was people would come up to me, make sure that no one else was looking and say, thanks for writing that, that was spot on. Uh, things needed to change and we hope that they do change. And they have changed. United are spending five times more on the youth system than they were five years ago. You've seen the lads coming through, like like Mason Greenwood, like Brandon Williams. There are other very talented players. Effen Laird is one of them. And Hannibal, he's a man who's making most exciting people at the moment. I think he cost 10, 12 million euros and came to the club at the start of this season. And he looks absolutely fantastic. And I speak to people who are working with him most days and they're they're raving about him. So if United are picking up players like that uh, at that age, getting players at 16, 17, I'm really encouraged by that. And I like to see players come through. I think it's part of United's DNA, the youth system. It's it's The club hasn't always been about um, buying big-name players off the peg. It's been about a mixture of buying those type, but also bringing great youth players through. And uh, I, I think that they're getting there again. It's going to take some time. Uh, there are still age groups where there are big deficiencies. I think the 16s are very good and the 15s aren't, or, or the other way around. And you can't just change it overnight, especially when there's so much competition for young players on United's doorstep. Everton have had a scouting system in Manchester, of all places. United haven't had that in Liverpool. But United have vastly increased the number of scouts. They're continuing to uh, put more and more money into it. They still need to update uh, some of the facilities at Carrington. It's a very good training ground, but it's not the best. And you've had youth team coaches getting changed in porter cabins and areas where there should be hard standing around the pitch and there isn't. And they need to invest more. And they are doing that. So I'm broadly encouraged by the way the youth system is going. There's a lot of good people there and they need to be left to, to do the job and to continue bringing players through. And they also need to win the Youth Cup. United dominated that competition like Real Madrid dominated the European Cup when it first started. But wins have been too few in the last um, 15 years and they, they need to win that. So uh, when they do that, people will start to say that United are getting towards the level of, of Chelsea and Manchester City because they've been the most dominant uh, teams at youth level. Speaking of upcoming changes to Manchester United, I believe they're beginning a brand new analytics department, as mentioned by David Ornstein in his column on The Athletic yesterday. Laurie, why on earth have Manchester United not have an analytics department before this? Um, well, I think they do have departments that look at um, you know data. They've got loads of, of data, to be honest, and they've got a bespoke sort of system that they can funnel that through. Okay. 
Yeah, so it's not uh, it, it, it's not a sort of total revamp at all. I think it's in addition to um, sort of the, the statistical uh, analysis and research that they've got already. So, um, listen, I, it, obviously David's story, I'm not totally you know in, in depth on it totally, but it certainly sounds like they are going to have, I mean, we were speaking about it on his podcast and, and it, it was extremely sort of insightful on, on what it's going to actually entail. And it sounds like it's a, a case of trying to, you know, catch up really with the likes of Liverpool and Man City who have got guys that will um, create their own algorithms to assess players, um, you know, really detailed stuff. Um, and it's it's high-end stuff. So, you know, whilst you might say, you know, why, why haven't United got this already? I, I, you know, and that is a fair criticism. I think equally, you sort of have to look at it and go, well, okay, they're adding eight more people to the to the pot. You know, you'd ideally like to see that come through in, in then the players that they sign, you know, unearthing gems rather than sort of having to go for those guys that are all, you know, the headline figures and, and you, you can clearly see that they're, they're good players. So, um, yeah, I don't know how it's actually going to shake down. I think they're going through the process at the moment. Um, second round of interviews, David was saying. So um, we'll see. It'd be an interesting thing to, to keep an eye on. I'll definitely keep an eye. I can't wait for Manchester United to get a throwing specialist. (laughs) (laughs) Andy, you spent this week interviewing Shinji Kagawa. Yeah, I went to see him in Zaragoza. And to give you a bit of of insight of of how journalism worked, I didn't really know uh, Shinji when he was at Old Trafford. Um, Maybe spoke a couple of words to him in the mix zone. And I saw that he was in Spain. And I thought, why Shinji Kagawa in Spain in the Spanish second division, age 30? So I set about tracking him down and it took me six weeks. I had to, after I'd made contact, I had to go and meet someone who knew him so that he could weigh me up. And then there was radio silence for a month and I just kept pushing and pushing. And I could see that his team, Real Zaragoza, uh, who Ander Herrera is a huge fan of, were doing well. And then finally, um, agreed to see him. Got told that he'd have half an hour for me. Sat down with him. Um, felt at ease with him, spoke to him for 70 minutes. Uh, he speaks a little bit of English and a little bit of Spanish. So we needed someone with us um, so that he could speak in Japanese because I felt he would speak most openly in his own language and I wanted to, him to be relaxed. And he was asking me about former players and what they were up to now. And I felt I had a good connection with him and just going for all the transcription now and I'm pretty confident it's a good interview, but it could be it could be saying to me in Japanese, "You're the worst journalist I've ever come across in my life," just for for seventy <laughs> minutes of that. So, um, he gave me a lift back to the train station. He was laughing, he was smiling. Um, so I, I had a good feeling when I came away from doing Shinji, and I can't recall him doing an interview in English. Uh, so, fingers crossed that it'll all work out. And I think that type of journalism. Is original, it's important, it's interesting, it takes a lot of time, a lot of resources to do it, but if you get it right, and I've tried to do it for The Athletic, been to see Chris Smalling in Rome, Michael Knighton, Nemanja Vidic in Italy, then then it comes off and it's worth doing. Absolutely. I believe we've got a little clip that, through the magic of podcasting, we're going to play for you right now. You played with some great players in Manchester United, Rooney... Van Persie, Skulls, Giggs, yes. Nanny. Which ones do you remember most? Who who most. was the best? I think the Rooney. Well, Rooney. Why Rooney? Why? He has everything: mentality, yeah. technique, the passing, control. His mentality is strong, very strong. Could you understand him? No, <laughs> no, very. His Liverpool accent. Yeah, it's very difficult to understand. 
the especially Manchester. So you're friends with the Spanish players like yeah, Juan and yeah, David. Yeah, it's more in, more easy to understand English. <laughs> it's more you know the like more. I like Latina, you know. Lat, more, That's why you live in Spain more, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you said to me before gigs. Gigs was thirty nine years old. Yes. When you played with him. Yeah. Gigs <laughs> score is unbelievable. Why? I don't know why, but well, he's very like a. 20 years old, you know, he's, he's got ball, dribbling, one gets one, every, every time wing. Even 39 years yeah, old? Yeah, even 39, it doesn't matter. He told me the secret was yoga. Yeah, I will do. You'd like <laughs> to play until you're 39? I don't think so. <laughs> I cannot imagine. I missed Kagawa. I missed him. He, he was sort of the playmaker that never quite was. Laurie, what do you think of his tenure at United? Very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, Carl. It was it was sort of hit and miss, wasn't it? I mean, I'd be interested to read Andy's piece in, in terms of what Shinji thinks about his time at Old Trafford because we never quite got to know him, I don't think. There was that hat-trick against Norwich that was brilliant and some of his touches were sublime, weren't they? But And, and clearly at that point, you know, Ferguson was, I guess, trying to phase out Rooney and bring in Kagawa um, as that number 10 um, force. I suppose he was never quite going to be the same player as Rooney physically. But, um, but yeah, clearly a guy that actually brought a few, you know, really positive moments um, to the club so wish him well and yeah it'd be interesting to see what he says about his time at Old Trafford Wayne Rooney's Derby County on Thursday what do you make of the possible team selection for this FA Cup game yeah I think he will change it um, obviously it's it's Derby so and, and obviously at the bottom end of the championship um, so you really you know United don't have to field a strong is their strongest 11 to beat them or shouldn't do anyway uh, whilst that might sound um, like I'm getting ahead of myself there um, you know pride before I fall and all that but um, I just think in terms of the balance of how things are at the moment clearly you've got Man City on Sunday um, you know this is Thursday night um, so he will need to freshen it up um, I, I imagine Agala will start I imagine you might see Williams back in the team um, Lingard could feature Pereira's been out the side recently I wonder if he might get a game um, at the same time I wouldn't want him to you know leave the team at the at the mercy of, of Derby and an upset because you know I think the FA Cup's an important one to keep progressing in and listen if he gets to the, the quarterfinals then you know Wembley starts to come on the horizon again um, and I just think that I think I think a piece of silverware for Solskjaer could do so much as Andy's already touched on I think it would really invigorate his, his tenure whilst obviously you know Mourinho and uh, Van Hal won silverware um, and you know, obviously, it didn't really help Van Hal in, in his, you know, when he won the FA Cup. But I think that had already sort of moved past that point. So whereas this, this could actually be a bit of a, a platform for Solskjaer. So um, I, yeah, I, I'm going to go to the game, uh, Pride Park, and you know, Rooney clearly will be reveling in the occasion. I think he um, he's had a big impact at Derby um, in terms of his presence around the place, but also off the pitch and and, and sort of his his commitment and diligence. So um, yeah, it's, it should be a decent game. These midweek FA Cup games, remember, there is no FA Cup replays here. It's extra time and then penalties. So you never know. You never know. Uh, Andy, you mentioned before Manchester United's record in the Manchester derby at Old Trafford isn't the best. Could you elaborate on that a bit more here? Yeah, well, they keep losing at home to City. And that, that's <laughs> what the concerning thing is for, for United fans. They keep beating City away. And, and at Old Trafford... Um, the record in, in in the last ten years has been awful, and there are even rumours. I, I, I need to stand them up, but some some lads I know who are City fans are saying that they scored six at Old Trafford. I don't know, Seems eight, fake. Eight nine years ago, but <laughs> I, I'm not I'm I'm not having it. Um, 
I will have been there, but I would have definitely remembered that. <laughs> but United, United have got to turn up at Old Trafford because not only have been City been winning, they've been dominating games. Uh, Guardiola tactically has been doing United every, ever since he came. And I remember that first derby, September 16. I've never seen so much hype around a Manchester derby and I've been writing about them for a long, long time. And it wasn't the biggest game. The biggest one was in 2012 at City. But when Mourinho came up against Guardiola, there was more media interest globally than any I've ever seen. And and City won, and they deserved to win. And they deserved to win last season as well. I think that came following the, the 4-0 defeat at Everton. So that was a pretty bad time for United. And then this season, United have won away at City twice, which is baffling. Uh, not that I'm complaining. And then at Old Trafford... Um, Guardiola did a number again on United. He, he he didn't play with a striker. They tore United to bits in the first half of that League Cup semi-final, which was ultimately enough to, to get them through because he built up such a cushion that um, it, it got them to Wembley. And I'm told the final was at the weekend against Aston Villa. I'm not sure how they went on. I've not bothered to check for the result of that. United have got to turn up. Yeah, I, I wonder, Andy, you, I mean, you looked at what did in... in... In, in at Real Madrid, changed it up. You know, Jesus as left wing back, and um, and then again against Villa, and and for the game at Old Trafford, he changed it, didn't he? From the from the Etihad game, and, and De Bruyne was sort of famously saying, "Oh well, we we just took fifteen minutes on the training pitch for us to, to produce this formation, which was a bit of a, uh, you know, United couldn't quite quite get their heads around it, could they? And uh, I just wonder what what he's going to do because um, obviously, you know, he's he's had these two big games with Real and, and Villa. Obviously, he's lost the last one against United, where you know the the game plan worked to to a T really, and, and I I think United really can only play on the counter against against City. I, I just think they have to sort of soak it up and 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 you know the possession it probably won't be pretty from a perspective, but to get a result, I think that's probably the only way. Because I looked, at, I mean, just to plug a final, I'm allowed to do so, Carl and Andy, um, uh, from the Everton <laughs> game. Yes, yeah, so Opto have got this metric where they can measure how intense a team is, you know, in terms of pressing. Um, uh, passes per defensive action it's called PPDA uh, to give it its buzz buzz term really really cool and hit buzzword um, and uh, yeah so the, the, the lower the number um, the more intense the press so um, City's averages out at like nine which you'd expect you know so they're hunting down the ball quickly um, and under Solskjaer it has dropped last season against Everton for example in that 4-0 defeat um, you know clearly the lethargy struck you know Solskjaer accused them of giving up which it does play out in these particular numbers which it was about um 16 um whereas um against Everton on Sunday the first half was eight you know so clearly they were really hunting it down and second half there was a, a sort of drop off to um 18 and then it averaged about 11 for the game I'm not sure exactly how that works I know that you know 18 and 8 and then divided by 2 isn't you know 11 but anyway that's that's what the the stats guys say so um clearly there was a drop in performance second half and I just wonder that might be in Solskjaer's mind because clearly against City on Sunday they're going to have to be pressing aggressively throughout the whole game. Otherwise, City will just will, you know ping it around them and, and, and score at will like they did at Old Trafford last time. Laurie, that was a very very nice stealth interview for Manchester United's analytics department. There, I, I look forward to seeing you working at Carrington very very soon. We'd like to pause for a brief minute to ask you, our faithful Talk of the Devil listeners, to click on the show notes for today's episode. I'd really like you to follow the link and go in there and fill out a very, very short survey to let us know what you think about the podcast going so far. Tell me what you love about myself, Andy or Laurie, or even what you don't like. Oh, goodness. Please be nice. 
The survey is really, really simple. It's only 11 questions and it will take you less than 60 seconds. I promise you, it's less than a minute. We want to make the best version of Talk of the Devils as possible. We want to make the best Manchester United podcast for you and we need your help to do it. Please be nice. Even if you're not, please be detailed. Talk to you soon. Uh, <laughs> can I get some predictions from both of you very, very quickly? Oh, it, yeah. it's 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 so hard. And, and what Laurie's saying about tacti- tactically City being smart, I was in the Bernabeu last week and when I saw that lineup, I thought, what on earth is Guardiola doing? But he called it right and... I think he should show how great he is by playing Edison in midfield alongside Claudio <laughs> Bravo. Bring Brian Kidd on, put him up front. Everyone will applaud Kiddo because he used to play for Manchester United. Guardiola should give himself a game. He was a fantastic player. I'm sure he still is, and I think he should show that at Old Trafford by playing himself. And then he doesn't need to spend 15 minutes like they spent last time. Just spend two minutes, and then maybe yep. we'll get a more equal game because... I'm sick of City winning at Old Trafford and I'm going to go to the game on Sunday not having a clue what's going to happen. If you really push me, I'd say City to win again. I just can't see that dynamic changing, but it has to change. One all. Laurie, if you saw Brian Kidd starting up front for City, don't tell me that you wouldn't buzz off that. <laughs> I'd give him a round of applause, certainly. I, I remember 99. I don't know, I do have a, a slight fear that City might just sort of turn it on again, which would be absolutely galling, but there we go. As far as I'm concerned, all this talk about Pep got it right. They only won via a penalty, so yeah. Mm. You tell them, Carl. And even then, mm. City aren't Should that have good at Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. As far as I'm concerned, it's going to be United wins Thursday and on Sunday. Thank you, listener. Don't forget, by listening to us, you can get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash United pod. Thanks once again for listening to another episode of Talk of the Devils podcast, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week. <laughs>